Well, hello, Space Cowboys. Welcome to the Kibbles and Boys podcast, brought to you by your hosts, Harlan and Sam. We are two lifelong bros who survived being raised as sheltered homeschool kids and now seek to connect in adulthood through this low-budget podcast. Kibbles and Boys aims to deliver high-flavor content on topics that interest us, such as media, current events, and science. Welcome to the Kibbles and Boys show. And I am burdened with glorious purpose. You'll crunch it, chomp it, absolutely devour it. This place is like Dr. Seuss's worst nightmare. Welcome to Outer Space Class. Today, we begin a wide-ranging discussion on something outer. Space. <laughs> hey, <laughs> Harbob. Otherworldly. I'll raise my cup to that. Hey, what's up, Sam? So, um, hey, how you doing, man? I did want to. I want to jump in here right off the uh, set. This is, of course, this is going to be super awkward for us because we have cameras set up everywhere and a, a super professional setup. By the way, this is our first in-person yeah, pod. First in-person pod. And I haven't seen you in so long, BB. It's been really good. So. I actually wanted to start off today with a little bit of an icebreaker because we obviously aren't used to having the cameras involved. I'm nervous seeing you um, face. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's weird ice. talking to you in face-to-face now. I wanted to I wanted to potentially ask you a few questions. Uh-oh. Maybe potentially look at rekindling the bromance now oh. that we're in person. Has it gotten to this, Sam? Are we, we've hit the dry spell? <laughs> yeah, we've... <laughs> we on the uh, seven-year itch? Wish you had said it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, how many years have we known each other? Man, it's been since, what is that, 6th, 7th grade? You know, it, it, grades in homeschool are kind of weird. It's just, uh, it doesn't quite work out, but I guess, what, I was 12? Yeah, and um, now he's 47, so. <laughs> <laughs> just just my heart and my organs are 47 in age. Yes. Uh, but yeah, now 28, so be, that's 16 years. Dang. Am I doing my math right? Yeah, that's pretty crazy. That is crazy. Years. So, coming up on 16 years. All right, what are these questions you want to ask to rekindle the bromance? <laughs> yeah, so I figured... We've had a 16-year marriage. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, a 16-year marriage. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, maybe I start with a softball here. And one of these I'm pretty ashamed to be asking. I'm like, I should know this. And I feel like I did at one point. But as the years went by and you you know went away, things uh, started lapsing out of my old brain. Okay. What's your favorite color? Oh, man. Great questions. You know, by the way, I mean, this is why we are uh... – <laughs> This is going to be a top-notch podcast. We have, we ask each other very, very insightful We're, questions. Before we get like, into the depths of space and the your universe. What's color? What's your favorite color? Oh, man. I thought it was blue at one point, but maybe I'm wrong. I think it might be blue. I, actually, you know what? I think it's red. Red. I got a red car. I feel yeah. like red... Uh, my car you has know, earned just, you a lot of money, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just, it's, it's my retirement side hustle right there. <laughs> your, your insurance fraud car, yeah. Yeah, somebody um, hits me, cash out that check. <laughs> Also, I keep picking up my tea mug, but it's still too hot to drink. Yeah. <laughs> so it might be sitting here for a bit. Um, so let me go to the next question. Well, no, what, what's your favorite color? Oh, you want to know my favorite? Yeah, you got relationships really oh, wow. are two-way streets, Sam. It's a two-way street. I never, I guess I never, uh, yeah, you answer I, I have a questions. lot of things I need to learn, yeah. I'm going to say silver. I really like silver. So <laughs> just as a shade of gray, I guess, I don't know. I like that nice metallic I'm to, sheen. I'm trying to think. Uh, that doesn't really fit into the colors of the rainbow. I don't really think about like Roy G. Biv <laughs> is, is silver. You've never there. looked at a rainbow and been like, man, I like that silver streak. <laughs> Why do you well, like silver, Sam? I don't know. I just do. Um, I feel like we need some candles and some mood lighting here. Yeah, Maybe nice. I almost, uh, I almost thought about getting some rose petals or something. Yeah. Uh, of course, for setting this up, we were like, um, you know, we don't have our wives to help us or anything. So I was like, hey, house plant. <laughs> Yeah, we, so, need, we need some a little bit yeah. of ambiance, you know. I think we could use. Some Got spaghetti. my, uh, you know, home is where the cat is mug here. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, what I wanted to say uh, for my next question. Okay. Uh, going a little deeper here. What's the earliest memory you have of me? Oh dang! <laughs> Man, it's going a, back it's what 15, 15, 16 years. Dude, I honestly think it's funny because we're we're going to be talking about outer space today and uh like some like space missions i honestly like one of my favorite uh early memories i think it might be my earliest memory is us sitting in the break room at the uh the homeschool co-op 
and you were just rattling off like space facts. I, I'm not kidding. You're talking about like, like how many moons are around Jupiter there are. This is amazing that you remember this. Yes. Like, okay. And this is back when Sam was a was a chunky seventh grader or a chunky yeah. sixth grader, I or loved... maybe he looked like a ninth grader. <laughs> Dude, I was built like the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember you were like so passionate about uh, like talking about the solar system, and I just I remember being like. And, yeah. I so, love just talking about the planets and, you know, of course, a lot of those things have left me too, but like their sizes, their diameters, all of like facts about them, how far they are from the sun, you know, their orbitals. It was just all that stuff I was super into. Facts. Yeah. That actually honestly might be my earliest memory. of. It's us. one of my earliest <laughs> ones. There's only one that I have before that um, with you. Oh, man. Uh, so, yeah, I think like you said, that's probably one of the earliest ones. Actually, that's crazy to that remember that. And that's why I really brought it up because for me, one of my earliest ones with you is us talking about space stuff. Yeah. Being just like weird little homeschoolers. But the earliest one I have is when you had that terrific bowl cut. It was oh, fabulous. Yeah. You know, I keep keep trying to ask Lorelai if I can bring it back. Actually, I don't know, <laughs> if, I ever, conversation I don't know if I've ever talked to Lorelai about that. She just, she's seen pictures of me as a little kid wearing it, but I've never you, tried to. You were one of the few people I've met who could pull off a bowl cut, I think. I don't know. I mean, I thought it looked great. I remember seeing you, and I was like, "Man, I want to be friends with this guy. He looks, he looks swag as hell." No, I think what it was is my uh, my mom loved the bowl cut when I was like three, and then she didn't <laughs> realize that hey, by like maybe four or five, you should start phasing out the bowl cut, and then it was like eleven or twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Ten years just went by with the bowl yeah, cut. <laughs> just, you know, gotta save money oh, right man. across the top. Oh my gosh. Um... So my earliest memory was when we, uh, when Harlan and I were in a homeschool group, we would do these sports. It was called like it was like for homeschoolers. You remember yeah. that on Fridays? We get to their Friday afternoons. They would yeah. just do different sports, kickball, soccer, whatever. Yeah. And I remember I played soccer was my sport. Yeah. I learned how to dribble. I was actually pretty good at dribbling, but yeah. I couldn't run for crap. I mean, I was like you know chubby, out of shape. So I yeah. remember you were like this thin thing of lightning, this speed. But you couldn't control the ball for anything. So I remember <laughs> this. Can't. Yeah, and I remember this was the funniest thing because I actually remember the first time I met you, I was irritated by you for, to an extent because I would be running and I would have to dribble past you like eight or nine times because you were so much faster than me and I kept running out of like stamina. So I would just like go my 10 feet, I'm huffing, and then you would be right there again. And then when you did get the ball from me, it was just like I would just stand there. I was like, I can't catch this guy. You know? Well, and, I, my concept of dribbling was. Uh, I'm gonna kick the ball 20 feet in front of me and then sprint up to it. <laughs> yeah, so and I didn't that. really think in my little kid brain that oh maybe if I kick it that far somebody's gonna intercept it and steal it. So. That's so funny. I remember thinking that and I was like he has no ball control but I can't catch him so this strategy is working for him. <laughs> that's that's technically my earliest memory of but it took me actually until after we met when I remember like Harlan is the same guy I played on the soccer field with like a year prior. Oh, I which is crazy. So that's technically the earliest or first time I met you when you're on the imposing team. Was but that at St. Gabriel Park? That was right by St. Gabriel Park, yeah, yeah where they had the uh, the recreation center. Oh, dude. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, beyond that, the first time, like, where we actually, you know, knew each other, had introductions, was at the, uh, was, yeah, the break room, I think. Yeah. At that little one-day academy. Yeah, that was, so man. Yeah, weird tangent. Do you have do you have any questions for me before we launch into space? Well, do you think that this is going to, this is going to rekindle our bromance? Um, this this in person interaction, I feel like I feel like now I'm already more uh, more drawn to you. Just so I back down memory lane. I was like, there is the thing that you're here, Lorelai's still out of state, and it kind of feels nice to turn like turn the page, you know, kind of flip <laughs> the switch, uh, if you will. So I don't know. I, I actually almost thought about texting her, like, how does it feel? <laughs> I don't know if she's gonna feel great hearing these words if she when she was she watches this podcast. Hope <laughs> you don't let her watch this one. Yeah. Oh my gosh! No, uh, Lorelai's amazing. I'll look at the camera and say, Lorelai, you're amazing. I think you're great for Harlan, but I am glad to have him for a few days. Yeah. <laughs> so she's generous in her. Uh, she is generous for sharing you. I'll yeah. say that. Yeah, she's. I feel like we're getting into the spirit of Thanksgiving. Like she's. I'm. I'm a pilgrim, and she's brought me corn, and you're you're my corn. Well, now that you have something to munch on, yeah. I have a couple kibbles, of, a couple kibbles, kettles of kibbles of corn. <laughs> kettles of kibbles. I swear of this is just tea. But you're double bagging it, Sam. I don't know if I've ever seen somebody <laughs> drink it out of a basin. As your, what is that? A cat mug? Yeah, you I'm know. I told my wife, I was like, "Why does the cat like mug look like a cat bowl? Like it just feels weird to drink out of." But oh, see man. if it's cool enough to drink yet. 
Uh, but anyway, you should um, go ahead and get us introduced into what our main actual topic is today for people who are tuning in for our discussions into like space. But yeah. I wanted to, if you want to give us a little bit of a rundown on like what we're all going to be talking about and what it encompasses. Yeah, so uh, we're talking about outer space, but specifically we're limiting it to um, near term, medium term space initiatives from Earth. There's so many topics we could go into in outer space. I mean, it's virtually yeah. limitless. You think about, we don't know the bounds of the universe. So um, trying to put a little bit of a bounds on this discussion, we're talking about um, space launches, mostly like human crewed ones, because I think those are the ones that you and I are most jazzed about. Those are about. the ones I think for most people are really jazzed yeah. about. It's just the concept of us as, you know, a species leaving this planet, you know? Right. Yeah. And also, um, this timing is, is kind of interesting because we're recording this in early November 2022. Um, maybe when I take six months to edit this, uh, it's not going to be as relevant. <laughs> but in a couple of weeks, we're actually going to have... Um, the Artemis 1 launch. Yeah. So the Artemis cool. 1 launch is a NASA launch, which is not going to get us to the moon maybe in the next couple of years, but we're returning to the moon. There's a, there's a roadmap to get humans back on the moon. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It's really cool because I know the Artemis program is being done in, was it three? There's Artemis 1, Artemis 1, Artemis 2, and Artemis 3, right? And Artemis 3 is like the end goal where it actually has people on the rocket and they're sending them to the moon. Yes. And that's my understanding of how they're outlining this with Artemis 1 being more of the testing of that new equipment. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so there's actually a currently slated a roadmap for five Artemis missions. But you're right. Okay. The third yeah. Artemis mission is going to be the one where they um, are attempting to put a crew on the moon. Um, that one's currently slated for 2025. So two or three years from now. Um, yeah, Artemis 1 right now is actually not crewed. It's an uncrewed test of the space yes. launch system yeah. that NASA's using. And then the Orion capsule that the, the astronauts will be um, traveling in. So this one's going to launch up, it's going to orbit the moon, and then return back to the Earth. And they're going to have tons of sensors on there to make sure, ultimately make sure that the crew is safe. I think that's something that has plagued the history of NASA and like the shuttle program that was, not only was it massively expensive, but two shuttles and um, two full crews were lost. The, the Challenger mission, I believe it was in 1987, and then it, the Columbia in 2003. It is, and they're having to, that's the crazy part about space travel in general, or yeah. any time that you're leaving our plane is like, you're, I mean, it's all uncharted, you know? Like, so even now it's like, yes, we have gone to the moon. We have done these missions, Yeah. but we're you know trying to bring that into the new age with new equipment, new technology. It's like, in a lot of ways, they are starting from ground zero, you know, and they really are. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they, we retired the shuttle in 2011 and, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of interesting because from, I would say kind of the, the, the 2010s, the last 10 to 12 years of space travel has really, to your point, seen the shift. Whereas, yes. whereas NASA, um, has kind of scaled back their, their crewed missions. And for a while there, we were launching astronauts, um, I believe out of, out of Kazakhstan under the, uh, the Russian flag. So we were putting, we were paying, I think it was like something like $100 million per astronaut to Russia to have them fly up to the International Space Station. Just it's crazy. crazy how long we were doing that, yeah. too. Yeah. But then in the 2010s, um, you have really the resurgence, or the, the um, not the resurgence, but like the coming to age of, of SpaceX, this private yeah. space enterprise. And, and um, in two, I believe it was 2012 was the first crewed mission by SpaceX, which was huge. Yes, that was massive. massive. And... You know, regardless of like what your views are on, you know, the space industry being like privatized at all. Yeah. I totally believe that like there is a place and you would really need both of them. So you have the private sector trying to help actually bring the cost yes. down, making it where like, hey, this is actually a doable thing to do that's not just taxpayer taxpayer dollars. Mm, yeah. But then you have the side of it that's like NASA was the one who frontiered it. They made it possible using it. Like they basically used, you know, taxpayer dollars to show like, hey, this is possible. Like we can go beyond this planet. Yeah, and I think they inspired. Like I, I don't, I really don't. Like if NASA didn't exist, I don't see any type of possibility of a private company ever trying to take on this endeavor. Right. Uh, and I think that is a super big thing to keep in mind too. And then you also have like NASA um, is what's the best way to put. It? So I think like NASA. This is like a. I'm getting off topic a little bit, but I would love to see like inside NASA. How are they documenting? Like so, like mm. you know, if you. Because this is back in the the late sixties, early seventies, right? Yeah. So how much, like how many, uh, like if you're working in NASA today, we're on the Artemis program. Yeah. How uh, how much resources or documentation do you have access to that's actually going to pertain to this new mission? I mean, I think that's a great question because um, I know I've heard some um, 
I don't know if it's rumor. I think it's actually true that the original plans for the the rocket engines for the Saturn V rocket, the the one that launched ultimately put uh, humans on the moon in 1969, those plans are almost kind of lost. I, I believe that because they're written, they're by hand, they weren't digitized. Yeah, and, this is and, all pre digital age. And yeah. so, granted, we aren't we aren't building the Saturn V rocket, but talk about documentation. I think that there's a lot of um, inherent like industry knowledge that has been lost with all the engineers that have developed like the Gemini and Apollo missions yes. and then kind of going into the shuttle missions like that, that crew is retiring. Um, do you remember when we went down to, uh, to, to NASA in, yes, in uh, yes. Houston? That was amazing. Yeah. Dude, we met this guy. Uh, his name is Norm Chaffee. Yes. Do you remember that guy? I remember Norman. Yeah. yeah. I, he actually, I got a recommendation letter from that guy. Dude, he I was so cool. Him. Yeah. Dude, I loved him. One of the coolest dudes. And yeah. So nice. The, the awesome things is that, um, this was a, I believe he started his career. So he's like in, I believe he was in his seventies or eighties when we met him. This was back in, um, when was this? 2010 timeframe, 2011. Yeah. I want to say it was, uh, cause I, we were both in high school. Yeah. Probably around 2011, 2012, somewhere yeah. there. Yeah. So, so just a little quick aside, uh, Sam and I had this awesome opportunity to do this, um, kind of intense three day design weekend where we went down to NASA Johnson space center with a bunch of other high school, Texas high school. Yeah. Um, this was amazing. Students. Yeah. And we were given like this design problem. I believe we were like, it was a fictitious design problem to, uh, travel to, the planet Mercury, if I recall, I can't remember exactly. It was, it was. It was. Yeah, so we were trying to basically it was how do you get a settlement on Mercury that stays on the cool side of Mercury away from the sun? That's right, and it's, which is tricky because as Mercury rotates, you almost have to be like we were talking about having like a transporter that that moves kind of along that e that line between exactly. daylight and nighttime to keep it in that optimum temperature. Yeah, but. Uh, don't want to go too much into that, but the cool thing is we were out doing design work in this massive high bay where they had, I believe it was the freaking shuttle was in like as our backdrop, and, like the giant yes. American flag. Yeah, was it, it, the it was amazing. So I know there was like the, um, yeah, like that mission control room that you, you oh could have got God. to see, yes. and then there was I want to say it was like a replica of the shuttle. Yeah, but it was like a one to one straight replica of the shuttle that you're and you have your tables and you're working together on teams and you have the shuttle behind you and i remember thinking like that was probably one of the highlights of high school for me it was just such an inspiring workspace you yeah. know like it, you wanted to bring your all to that it was three so day cool. weekend yeah. we got to um, meet gene Krantz, like the uh, mission director for apollo 13 it's a lot of the apollo missions and yeah. just bringing history to life so i think that's partly why this this actually we talk about some of these being some of these episodes being very near and dear to us um specifically the uh so the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the previous episodes, <laughs> call back to episodes one through four. Yep. But this actually, I think, is kind of near and dear to us. We, we've it is. been yeah. excited about space for years. This is, I'll say, this is like a yeah, history of our, like you know, our friendship going forward has been. Uh, space has been a very big part of that. Uh, just like the passion about it. So I'm very excited. Uh, so going back to like yes. private space industry, and I like what you're talking about with NASA and documentation in this new era. Yes. So I was doing some research, and this is it kind of blew my mind when I heard about it. There's only been four entities in the entire world that have put a crude, um, a crude spacecraft into orbit. That's United States. Yes. Uh, Soviet Union slash Russia, because um, they had some cosmonauts before the fall mm -hmm. of the Soviet Union. China. And the fourth entity is Elon Musk. So love them or hate them, love the private industry or hate it. Like I think, to your earlier point, private industry is A, here to stay, but also can provide... Um, some auxiliary support to the the governmental organizations like NASA, mm -hmm. um, European Space Agency, and there's there's a lot of good ones around the world. But and I think to me that the, the government agencies are they're there to say can we do this, mm -hmm. and then I, I want to say the private industries to me are more of okay, so we can do it. How do we make it more efficient? And that seems to be that's the relationship we have right yeah. now with that. Um, but no, I, I love uh, we we're about to get into the Artemis programs here. Yeah. There for you know, of course, I think most people know this, but you know, we landed on the moon in 1969, mm -hmm. and we had a total of six uh, missions after that. Uh, that, that went to the moon. moon. That went to the moon. That had people land on the moon. So this is where it gets interesting. So you had Apollo 11. Uh, actually, just several months. I think it was four months after Apollo 11. You had Apollo 12. Oh wow. Then you had, of course, the issues with Apollo 13, yep. which resulted, there was, of course, everyone knows the Apollo 13 story, but then you had Apollo 14, 15, 16, and 17. Um, oh, wow. Did so, all those from, because I think Apollo 14 through 17 are kind of the forgotten Apollo missions, because everybody kind of knows Apollo 11 and Apollo 13, but we actually did a lot of missions after that. We, we've done a lot of missions, and I think the, uh, so the Apollo missions were the only ones that took a crew 
crewed individuals to the moon. Okay. So it had like an actual crew and they had people land on the moon, which is mm-hmm. incredible. So there was 24 astronauts total uh, that were either orbited or walked the moon from those missions. Wow. Uh, and the crazy part is, so I guess if you look at Apollo 11 to 17, that's seven missions. But, you know, with Apollo, the issues of Apollo 13, you only had six that actually made mm. fall on the moon. So there's only 12 people on the history of, you know, in the United States uh, that have walked on the moon. Well, in the history of the world, cause I'm, if I correct me if I'm wrong, only Americans have set foot on the moon so far. That we know of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Conspiracy ups are coming. No, well, I'm yeah, just I mean, yeah, but yeah, we like we you're say saying, the moon, exactly. but we really mean Australia, because like. I mean, <laughs> We don't actually don't think that. It's... <laughs> Sorry, we're, we're not going to oh, go into it. No, no, we're. Uh, we I feel like every episode believe. we we dive into some fringe conspiracy theory. We're probably going to get uh, get get flagged on Spotify as like. <laughs> yeah. Well, trust the, your sources. What I'm worried about is, of course, we we make these uh, conspiracy theory things like as a joke on the side, but then yeah. there's people that do believe this stuff, and I worry that we're going to draw them in as our listeners. <laughs> well, I mean, whatever gets the listeners, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're 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 selling out. Yeah. Um, no, I think the uh, so for the Apollo missions, like I said, you had six of them that successfully made it to the moon. You only had twelve people uh, that actually walked the moon. So those twenty-four astronauts that went mm-hmm. to the moon, um, only twelve of them actually walked on the moon surface. And of those twelve, only four of them are still alive today. Oh wow! Uh, which I think is 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 incredible because that it's 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 hard. It's I should, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say incredible, but it, it's. It's interesting to me that that much time has passed before we're making this initiative again to go back to the moon. That yeah. There's only four people that are still alive now that can speak to that experience. Yeah. Over. Um, so when did you say the last mission was to the moon? Which year? Uh, 1972. So 50 years ago since we put somebody on the moon. Yeah. I think that's got to be like some of the impetus to why NASA's kind of doing this resurgence. It's like we're looking back and we're saying, hey, we haven't, we haven't explored in the way that we, we did back in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. But you know, with with Artemis, it's pretty it's pretty cool to see. I don't know, um, listeners, if you have a chance to go to the Artemis website, um, the NASA.gov, uh, the PR campaign there is pretty phenomenal. They've they really kind of are trying to instill this this um, idea of, of excitement and entrepreneurship because I think I think part of this um, launch is is for kind of the public good because everybody can get excited about exploration. This is something that can hit yes. the news that isn't going to be uh, war in Ukraine or. Something exactly. that, that China's yeah. going to do to attack. Like, this is something that is, um, I feel like, universally like just cool for humanity. And so it draws in so many people. Yeah. It, I actually wanted to bring in a cool little kibble here about that. Yeah. So okay. the the last one, of the, they did have a, a planned Apollo 18 mission. Yeah. But, you know, of course, these the cost on these was massive, right? Um, and let me actually pull up. You know, I'm going to just double check and make yeah, sure I, I can. I thought that I remember hearing about an Apollo 18 mission. I was going to ask you about that. But you said only 17 made it up to land or orbit the moon. So what happened with Apollo 18? Apollo 18 program got cut. Uh, mm-hmm. So they were actually working on it uh, and it was the ballooning cost and it was the cost because they considered the Apollo program as like a total cost that they were investing in this. Yeah. And at that point they were, uh, let me just double check my numbers here, but I want to say um, they were about just shy of $26 billion invested in these Apollo programs. But when you adjust that for inflation, that's over $250 billion today. Dude, that's that's insane. A quarter of a trillion dollars, and I, you know, I could kind of see why there'd be people that are kind of upset about spending that money because obviously that's a ton of money. But if you think about the time frame too, and like the the origins of the space race, when in, I believe it was 1961, John F. Kennedy, President John F. Kennedy, gave his famous speech at uh, I believe it was Rice University, saying like, uh, "We will go to the moon in this decade." And a lot of what I think gets lost in this telling the story is that. We threw the kitchen sink at this development, a because we thought it was cool for exploration, but mainly because we were in this kind of growing cold war with Soviet yeah, the Union. Space race, we were in that yeah. space race, and so it was it was more of a kind of strategic warfare esque competition, cold war. Um, so then after like the fall of the Soviet Union, then I think some people who were heavily invested in in um, NASA and space exploration kind of scaled back and started asking these questions: Why are we putting so much money into this now? Like they pivoted into the the shuttle program, which lasted, I believe, like that was like almost thirty years. It ended in twenty eleven. I can't remember when it started. It's like the one, 80s. I think it was nineteen eighty one, maybe. Okay, yeah. yeah, I think it was eighty one. Again, yeah, maybe I don't want to uh, misquote that, but yeah, like you said, it was it was running for several decades. And um, that that was a very successful mission. Yes, a series of missions. So you go from Apollo, um, you had that kind of lapse in between there, but then you have the shuttle uh, program, and so that's I mean that's a pretty significant investment too. And then at twenty eleven, it kind of stops, and so. You have this this gap, almost like a decade long gap. 
where you're yeah. kind of just doing maintenance missions up at International Space Station. NASA Which is, is its own massive achievement that we have oh a space gosh. station with people, rotating crews of people that are, you know, floating above us. You know, yeah. it's crazy. Um, yeah, and I know, so the Artemis program right now, from what is estimated, and it's hard because, you know, they don't have a, like an exact set cost, but it sounds like between Artemis 1 and through 3, they're estimating yep. like $93 billion. Uh, wow. Which, yeah, it sounds like a ton of money, but when you think about how many Apollo missions they did at, you know, carving the way back then yeah. at 200 and, you know, 50, 260 billion, um, it is interesting that they're having to do this on what I guess would be close to just under or just over a third of the budget. Yeah. Um, in addition to that, the uh, one reason the Apollo program got cut was apparently was a lack, there was like losing interest from the public. Interesting. So I uh, thought this was, uh, this is actually kind of gets to more my main kibble was when the first moon landing happened in 1969, it was one of the first, you know, like nationally televised events as well. Mm-hmm. It drew in 600 million viewers estimated, um, wow. which is, you know, back in the 60s, that was way beyond the whole population of the United States. I mean, you have segments of the entire world tuning into this. Wow. Uh, so I mean, just absolutely epic. Uh, by the time the last Apollo crewed mission in 1972, I want to say it dropped to almost like 10% of that viewership. Wow. So it was like one of those things where, you know, after they'd done it, you know, several times, I think there was like, okay, like we've, you know, it, I of course would have been so excited to see it every time. Right. But I think speaking and trying to speak from the perspective of the general audience, it was like, you know, we've, we've seen people go on the moon yeah. and we've seen it's it. Just a and it's, it's, it's happened, you know, it's, yeah. this is like the sixth time. Um, and so I think that costed, uh, I think that's part of it too. Is it was hard for them to keep pouring money into this when they felt like maybe they were losing some of that unification that yeah. was coming from it. I mean, it. if if you're like if you're like a senator who has to vote on whether to fund NASA, and your constituents are yeah. saying, "Hey, we need uh, this money to be put into our broken down infrastructure, our bridges and roads," as opposed to putting people into space, like I can see why there's that conflict there. But um, I think one of the cool things is just the this growing level of excitement. Maybe just because this lack of space exploration in the last like um, 10 years, but I, I sense a lot of excitement talking to people about kind of the future and we haven't talked about it yet, but the end goal, which is hopefully getting people to Mars and then beyond that, where we can yes. have like a, uh, a mission, missions, missions to Mars and have people like so living in, yeah. uh, in space, you know, not just in orbit around the earth. Yeah. I get chills thinking about that. Cause, uh, we have all these programs, you know, that we're, there's so many space programs I'm super excited for, but yeah, of course, like the end goal to me is we go past the moon, we actually go on another planet. Uh, it's just it, it gets me so excited. So part of the cool things about uh, Artemis three, so yes, you're gonna, they're going to be trying to put this crude um, this crude mission on the moon, but part of what they're doing, and there's actually um, a launch that needs to happen between Artemis two and Artemis three in order to make this happen is uh, putting this human landing system in orbit around the moon. So the goal with this is that it would be a uh, be a non-crewed object that would just sit there, and then when Orion capsule goes up, it can dock with it, and it can almost be this um, it's in this halo orbit around around the moon. It can oh, that's be really like, cool. Actually, like a space that. station around okay. the moon. And then for subsequent Artemis missions, the goal is to have uh, a more permanent they call it like a lunar gateway. So this more permanent um, space station that is orbiting in a halo orbit around the moon. And that just gets me excited because they want to have a moon base, this lunar gateway. When, when I think lunar gateway, I'm thinking this is like the jump off point, not only to Mars, but beyond that. So you could have people living at the moon, living on this lunar gateway, and you're just, we're just launching from there. I just think that's super cool. That is so cool. And it's really cool they're using these these uh, manned flights to the moon um, as like, like a, a staging and proof of concept to then kind of catapult that beyond to mars yes and it's the first time it's like where they're uh, they have like a really long-term goal that involves more than one planetary object you know that they're they're hitting both of those and i think that's super yeah. cool it is cool but you mentioned proof of concept i think a lot of this stuff still is in kind of its de- early development phase yeah. because we don't fully have a fleshed out idea of getting where we are today in our current um, technology to getting uh, a crude uh, yeah. space flight to the moon so or sorry to the mars um and like SpaceX and NASA, who've been partnering for a lot of these launches, um, I think they've had uh, six SpaceX launches where they've launched NASA astronauts on Falcon 9 rockets. Uh, so there's this deep partnership. But like Elon Musk and SpaceX has a much more, uh, much different vision of Mars than NASA does. 
uh, SpaceX is saying, hey, we, we want to put people on Mars before 2030, which is very ambitious. They have to hit this yeah. window, I think it's in 2028, 2029, where Earth and the Mars are close enough where you can kind of pierce that, uh, that gap, or else you have to wait several more years because um, there's a period where Mars is on the other side of the sun but, um, compared to Earth. So that's an ambitious, that's, Na- that's SpaceX. NASA's saying, it's, oh, it's going to be late 2030s, early 2040s before we put people on Mars. So it'll be interesting to see where it actually lands up. Will SpaceX kind of um, divorce from NASA and just say, hey, we're putting people on Mars without your help? Or will NASA say, hey, we're actually gonna move back our timeline because we don't wanna miss out here? Or is SpaceX maybe too ambitious and it really is gonna be more realistic like what NASA's saying? I think it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. I think it's still a little bit of a gray area. I think SpaceX, and uh, again, love that the the company exists, obviously, but they have been, uh, they have not been good about mating these milestones. I yeah. think they come out because they're, they are a private company. So they're trying to jostle uh, interest, you know? And so I think that's when they come out and they say these crazy timelines that to me don't seem realistic. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I, I really hope they hit it. I mean, I would love that. Um, and even NASA, I think, is really, but, you know, even looking at the Artemis one has been delayed several times. Yeah. It was supposed to and, launch, I believe, in late August. Yeah. I think it was August. And so it makes me think, like if NASA is, I think, being more realistic and they're having to push their stuff back, I would be, I personally would be very surprised if we pulled this off before 2040. But yeah, that's my opinion. I, I yeah. agree. Um, I do, to your point, I do like the fact that uh, SpaceX is being more aggressive with their timelines. I do think that NASA is being very cautious with their history yes. of um, catastrophes and, and accidents and tragedies with um, NASA's shuttle program. I think that they're saying, no, we're going to slow this down. We're going to do Artemis One without astronauts. Then we're going to wait. And we're do it just a kind of a practice lap around the moon, wait. So there's this, this cautious element that NASA's taking, which I think is necessary for um, ensuring. Yes, like, yeah, given the history. Yeah, yeah, get, yeah, ensuring like the safety of astronauts. But then I like this entrepreneurial mindset that, Nate, that SpaceX brings to the table, which is, hey, let's let's get out there now. Uh, like they're they're hopefully going to be launching the first test launch of their Starship in December of this year. Have you heard about Starship? I've heard some things about it, but if you know more information, I'd love to hear about it because it's like I've, I've heard of it, but if, Dude, I couldn't it's, see it's the details. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I think, I believe that Artemis three is hopefully on uh, going to use this, this Starship um, launch vehicle. And it's just this massive launch vehicle with the goal of deeper interplanetary travel. And one of the, the things they're trying to work out is launching this massive uh this vehicle to, to basically pierce the atmosphere and get into um, orbit. But once it gets there and it drops its booster, it's basically going to be void of fuel because in order to get out of the atmosphere, that huge amount of weight, it has to burn all the fuel. So yes. then it's, it's exploring this idea of like a, almost like a retanker or refilling option where you basically would truck up other rockets that have extra fuel to go up and refuel the starship in orbit around earth that could basically give it enough uh, fuel to get all the way to Mars. It should be insane. It's crazy to me, like how convoluted it is to try to make this process work. Like there's hundreds of ideas, but yeah. so little that actually even gets us, you know, out of the atmosphere that works. It's, it's, it's it blows my mind, like the the amount of work that goes into making these things functional. I know. Um, it's it's difficult to get to space, and it'll be interesting to see. Uh, to your point earlier about documentation, I think that's really fascinating because you have this generation of really talented engineers. They're doing awesome things, but they don't have as much. Exp- they don't have the experience that the Apollo engineers did, um, and so they're almost going to have to relearn some of this stuff. And yeah, and everything's become so digitized. Like a lot of the same technology wouldn't even be considered, right? So that's that's what I'm saying. Like even though we've done these moon missions, that a lot of this is really like it's it's ground zero. Like they're having to restart in a lot of ways, and um, which is part of the reason I think why there's so much excitement on this re- rekindling of it, right? So yeah. if you think about like our generation, like millennials, I guess, or Gen Z. We see the moon mission like the moon missions are history to us. Like yeah. those are things we learn about that happen. Right. That's not something we got to experience or see. And so I think our generation craves that. Like mm. we want to have something that we can see live that we can attach to our lifetimes. That's, um, um you know, that's going to be, uh, lack of a better word, just you know, it's basically going to add something to our generation that's going to be taught in the history books. That's going to be amazing yeah. and uh, oh, yeah. pave the way going forward. That will be cool. Yeah. I mean, I think International Space Station is kind of probably that thing that's been in our lifetime. I, I can't remember when it was fully finalized, but it was, it was when we were alive. Mm-hmm. And it's still going on now. I, I just I looked it up um, when I was doing research for this podcast that they're hoping to have the International Space Station um, 
in operation until I believe 2030, maybe 2031. And then after that, it's basically going to um, extend, uh, it'll overextend its life lifetime to where it's not really safe to be out there anymore. I mm-hmm. think it, it's actually was only given um, to be able to, like, it's, it was contracted to be survivable until 2016, but it's far outliving that because they put factors of safety into it and they're yeah. able to replace things. So, but I think by 2030, which is 2031, it's like 15 years beyond what it was expected to do. They're going to bring it back. So then it'll be cool to have things like the, um, like, like a moon base or, um, kind of talking about missions to Mars that will, they'll kind of capture that imagination. Uh, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, and that's something I want to see. If I had to pick um, bucket list wise, one thing I got to see in my lifetime would be to see people land on Mars. Like that would be close to the top of the list. That'd I mean, so cool. that would be amazing. And I, I think the proof of concept of that occurring really opens up a lot of the rest of the solar system, right? Of, of our solar system. And uh, I think we, you've briefly talked about this, but at some point down the road, I would love to do an episode where we talk about all the moons in our solar system. Cause they are some really yeah. cool moons that we're learning more and more about where we know the planets, we know really like, all those gas giants there yeah there's not much we can do with those there's not much we can't send people onto them or anything yeah it'll be but a the, throwback episode to um sam's sixth grade uh <laughs> knowledge yeah. of the solar system yeah i'll make sure to have like a nose pin on my nose well, so I, talk I think this nasally. was actually uh back then was before pluto was deemed not a planet right i don't know i can't remember this is, so uh i don't want to get canceled but there if you don't there was a uh pluto got removed as a planet when me and you were in that general science class. Oh my gosh. And we really? literally were in the class yeah. that started it and like halfway between, I mean, I'm approximating, but like halfway between like that semester of that class yeah. was when they made the word. And I remember, I still remember our teacher, uh, Mrs. Roberts. Yeah. And she came in and she actually was like, hey, so Pluto's no longer a planet. And she was like, what are your thoughts on that? What are your opinions? And at the time to me, I was like, a planet is something that orbits the sun. You know, of course, yeah. I understand like a lot more of the nuance now, but you know, it's 12. Yeah. And I was like, to me, it sounds like they're canceling Pluto, like removing Pluto from being a planet because it's small. Yeah. And I said to me, that's like saying a dwarf isn't a human. <laughs> And that's literally about word for word what I said to my teacher. Of course, you really couldn't say something like that now, but I was like, that. I was upset. I was legit upset about it because I was like, I learned about nine planets. Like, I've spent all this time learning about all of them. Yeah. And now you're just going to tell me that all this stuff I've learned about Pluto is really not relevant anymore because it's not a planet, you know? Yeah. Um, As you can tell, Sam is very emotionally attached to the solar system. So telling <laughs> yeah. him that uh, a planet isn't real is, is very much like a, yeah. a strike on his identity. Yeah. No, I've, accept, I've come to accept it now, but um, yeah, that, was, that was a rough one. <laughs> yeah i was um so we've been talking a lot about like nasa and spacex so american space programs have you have you researched at all about any of like the other space programs i know we talked a little bit about how um like russia has a space program where they send people to the international space station um china has one uh, there's the european space agency which is i believe the yeah, the ESA, yeah. um, with different eu countries that they will also send um, astronauts to the international space station have you heard of any other like major um, kind of exciting stuff down the road or I not haven't as much? Uh, and that's good. I think it's really interesting I love that you brought that point at the beginning like hey there is uh, three countries you know that have like only three countries in the entire world that have sent astronauts right yeah. like manned missions and I do want to caveat that there's a lot of other countries that have um, robust astronaut programs that have yes, put astronauts yes. into space but they've had to launch um, on different soils like they haven't yes. actually mm-hmm. that country hasn't developed a space program launched their own vehicles with their own astronauts into space only those three exactly countries. yeah so like you like you like you're saying with the esa having their yes. own astronauts and all that but uh like we we're saying basically from taking it from concept to fruition uh, fruition all the way you know from designing it to putting your own astronauts yeah. on and flying it up as like a uh that type of program yeah i think that's that's crazy that it's only been those three countries and like other countries have space programs yeah um but I feel like the same countries that have done that have made the investments to put people on the moon, you know, from their own countries and start those programs from scratch, essentially, mm-hmm. are still kind of paving the way in a lot of ways. Like there, there has really mainly just yeah. U.S. and then I think China's talking about doing a little bit of this, but yeah. they are paving the way. I mean, it costs a lot of money, like you were saying earlier, to, to it's start these expensive. programs. Yeah. So there's a lot of these smaller countries that don't have um, just even the opportunity, even if they wanted to start like a moon mission. So. I mean, I think in my mind as an American, that kind of almost puts even more burden on like the United States to invest because we have the ability to invest for the betterment of humanity, you know, 
It's like, hey, we have this awesome like economic powerhouse. Let's use it for something that's not just focused on our own territory. And I think anything, any achievements that we make in space, you know, it can be historic, you know, history remembers like, hey, the United States did this, but it's always seen as a progress for humanity as a whole. It ignores yeah, one borders. Yeah, step for mankind. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that. So that's why I think, um, like you, I think that's a really good point with the smaller countries, right? So they're, there's a lot of people in America, like they're, you know, getting into the political side of it, like there's a lot of requests for more social spending on things, right? There's yeah. infrastructure, there's a support nets for, you know, people in your society that might be struggling. Yeah. A lot of those countries in Europe, I think do have us beat in that aspect. Right. And so I think there's this, this, you know, there's this view of like, it, is it, is the United States, like, should we be spending this much money yeah. on going out to space? Yeah. Uh, and I think you kind of mentioned that earlier is like, if you're a Senator or a Congressman or whatever, you're sitting there, it's like, can you, look at your constituents that are voting you in and trying to have you, they want you to make them a better life. Right. And can you be like, yeah, we're going to spend a quarter trillion dollars in the space. Yeah. Uh, for me, the answer is absolutely yes. I'm sorry. That's, I mean, that's where I'm at. like, I, to me, that's our future. That's us going to the 100%. stars, but I can understand the nuances to that, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, there's been a lot of studies that have talked about the, the economic benefits of space travel where there's been, um, like enterprising, uh, inventions that have been developed for space that have had kind of, kind of cascading and trickle down effects onto populations in general. That's a great point. Um, I think yeah. that's something to think about, but yeah, to your point, it is very difficult to say, Hey, do I fix, uh, do I invest in this hospital that can help save lives in, in this town versus, yeah. um, invest in a new, um, like Mars Rover. Yeah. So I think it's, I know it's it always going to be a tricky. Yeah. Thing. It's like, you can't oversimplify like, Oh, if you take that money, you know, it doesn't mean that money would have gone to these other programs, but like in, in people's heads, when you think of it as a full bucket, it's like, yeah, this money could be going to expand, Medicare or could be going right. to help you know, infrastructure. Right. Uh, and so it is tough to, I think for some people that are uh, struggling yeah. um, to be like, yeah, no, I think this is the best use of our funds. But yeah, to me, I just, uh, I, when you, I think if you're a long-term thinker right, um, where you're thinking, you know, kind of past your own generation, it's like, yeah, at some point we are going to have to yeah. go outside of our, I think our earth. And, uh, yeah. I, and so the uh, um, quick aside on the long-term perspective. So I, I read something earlier this week that I thought was kind of interesting. So yes, um, they basically, they, they did this study about the, the average lifespan of mammals and like before, not of an individual mammal, but like of a species before it goes extinct. So if you take like these prehistoric uh, creatures that have gone extinct and then kind of look at uh, the development of different species, they, they expect humans to live for x number of millions of years or something like that yeah and when they like based on a species kind of rise and fall um, to extinction when they kind of map that out over human history and um, the amount of time that humans have been on earth they basically say if you were to line up human history on a, on a scale um, 10 people have gone before you basically if you add up for every 10 people that have basically come before 2022 there's a thousand more people in front of us um, that have yet to live if we kind of anticipate our species continuing for significantly longer than it is. So you think about, oh, there's a lot of history behind us, but we're actually, if you kind of look at that timeline, we're at the very like infancy of our species. And so there's things that we're doing today that will have effects not only on generations yeah. down the road, but if everything continues and the universe is still um, moving forward in a thousand, ten thousand years, um, what we're doing now affects those as well. Oh, absolutely. Huge is, I think it's exponential too, how much it affects it. And, uh, no, I'm really glad you brought that up because if we have, um, people, so most extinction events, of course, are natural disasters, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or things that happen on the planet or in your environment. Uh, that's at least what we've learned about, right? So like yeah. most species that have gone out, it, and of course, humans have caused extinctions to lots of species, but like in general, it's something that's happening local to you. Yeah. Uh, whether it be a meteor strike or, you know, severe flooding volcanoes. Right. And so to me, the only way you can, 100 pieces, you, we can't control what the earth does or how it reacts, right? right. We, we can we can control a reaction to that, but we can't control what it does. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why at a certain point, you have to look at having people to really ensure the survival of species, it cannot yes. be located to one planet. Yeah, it's a prerequisite for um, kind of staving off an existential threat to humanity, whether yes. that be whatever it is, whether it be a natural disaster, like a massive pandemic, a nuclear war, whatever that is, if we split up across different planets, then we have a better chance of surviving as a species. Totally um, agree. 
one one other thing about uh, kind of the, the global space initiative I want to bring up. So I was trying to look at, hey, if, if SpaceX and NASA are trying to do all this stuff, what are other um, countries doing? Earlier this year, China put out their kind of roadmap priorities for what they're looking to do. They are looking to try to do some sort of moon mission, but a lot of what they're trying to um, do out is uh, um, exploration missions with rovers and um, satellites and probes to different yeah. areas in the solar system, which also will be pretty cool. I mean, it's much cheaper to get a ro uh, probe or a rover into space than it is to try to get um, humans out there. And there's arguably more scientific gain because you, with, with per, like per dollar, if you send a probe into a moon of Saturn or a, a rover to Mars, um, that's like more scientific gain per dollar than maybe sending humans out there just because of the monumental risk and all that yeah. development. One of the cool things that China's trying to do is um, sending out probes and I believe a rover to some of the asteroids in the um, asteroid belt and specifically looking to see what minerals and materials are out there that could be harvestable, which would be pretty cool and also aid in this kind of interplanetary, interplanetary um, expansion of humans. If we could yes. harvest materials yeah. off of asteroids or comets um, that are in our solar system so we don't have to completely rely on Earth's materials in order to um, develop technology, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, one of the interesting things they did, the Chinese did this year um, when they were kind of talking about this, is they were um, actually soliciting kind of partners for some of their upcoming moon initiatives, and they were trying to ask other countries to partner with them. And a little bit of the um, elephant on the table with this, they kind of left Russia out of these discussions. They didn't really talk about Russia's involvement, which is weird because Russia and China have had a pretty um, robust partnership in space for a long time. And I think it's either because Beijing wants to distance themselves from Russia because of the Russia-Ukrainian war, or maybe Russia's just backing down in general, and so Beijing's seeing, hey, we're not going to be able to see them as a reliable partner. Whatever it is, it definitely seems like Russia is kind of declining in their investment in space. This is also um, kind of uh, underlined by the fact that Russia's plans to remove cosmonauts from the International Space Station by, I believe, 2024. So we only have a couple more years with cosmonauts up in the International Space Station, and they're going to be pulling them back. So there's this, of the major world powers that have invested in space exploration, we have one that seems to be very actively pulling back their investment, uh, which, is, yeah. which is interesting. It, it is concerning, too, because I think historically, uh, it could be argued that outside the United States, Russia has put the most, you know, at least them. I think they've invested the most yeah. after us as far as trying to get, you know, explore the solar system. And I think uh, I want as much as I love to see, you know, our country make these explorations. I think for us to really explore a lot of the solar system, all mm -hmm. these moons, you know, collaborate. I know a lot of countries are already collaborating and I'm not right. saying that it was just the United States. Like, of course, a lot of countries were assisting us and collaborating with us. Yep. Um, but I think we, we need the more countries that can get involved and help push funding forward. In the bigger countries. Yes, and the bigger countries yeah. are going to really help us out. Because you know, even if we are launching these programs, we don't have the resources to get satellites to every moon. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so having these other countries that are like, yeah, we're going to send a satellite to this moon, or we're going to try to do a manned mission here, we're going to try to you know send a rover here. Yeah. Uh, I think that, again, that all just betters humanity and our understanding of our solar system. I agree. And then also, um, I think it helps a lot with diplomatic relations. I think that's um, been one of the best touch points for um, Russia and the United States kind of interacting on a peaceful manner has been in space, um, which I think is kind of critical given a lot of the tensions that happen on the Earth between our two countries. Yes. I think it was, um, I heard it was a little bit of an awkward moment when Russia invaded Ukraine earlier this year because up on the International Space Station, there were Americans and then also Russian cosmonauts. So then it's like, okay, um, you have President Biden kind of condemning Vladimir Putin for his advances into Ukraine. So our countries are not happy with each other. But then you have astronauts and cosmonauts representing those countries that are in a very small very confined space, space doing yeah. a collaborative mission. Like that's got to be a little awkward. But I think I remember reading um, like an article about that. And, and so the astronauts and cosmonauts were talking to each other and basically saying, like we're not going to let what's happening down on Earth affect like the mission up here. I read about that as well. And the like yeah. the ability to work together, which I thought was really cool, and also something that uh, if we're going to hold on to any type of threat of di diplomacy between our two countries, I think um, it's cool to see that that happening in space. And, I think I if there's anything that's going to transcend you know borders and you know polit you know politics between countries and stuff is I mean literally going to be space. You know things that are above our planet uh, where these people are interacting with each other because I think. If you've gone through all the work to become an astronaut, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think you see, you know what I'm saying, you're going to see like, I think you're going to see past things such as your 
you know, uh, I mean, you can still have exceptionalism and all that, but you're going to see past that, right? Like if I'm interacting with someone above the country, my main goal with that person is going to be like, what can we find out here? Like, what are we discovering? What are we doing? Yeah. And I think you kind of start to transcend beyond that point of, oh, this is this country, this is this country, and Dude. I have to condemn you because this country, our country isn't getting along. You So along that point, um, they've interviewed the astronauts that have, have stood on the moon and been able to basically stand on the surface of the moon and look back at Earth and then hold out their thumb and, and with their thumb, they can cover up the entire Earth. Um, yeah. And just just seeing that perspective, there's been reports from those astronauts that their entire lives after they returned were completely altered because they've had this such a unique perspective of their place in the universe and how we are all just like the human race on, on one tiny little blue ball. Um, I think that's super cool. And to your point about that perspective, yeah. that transcendence above conflict, I think that's huge and going to be more huge as we move forward into this century and, and century beyond. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Sam, actually, yes. before we wrap up, I have one final question for me. Uh, you have, may have more questions, but I have one final question on space travel. I think it's, I think it's kind of interesting, and uh, I'd really be interested in your, in your thoughts on this. It's a two-part question. Okay, I'm ready. Let me get a sip of tea while you ask. So I think it was... China, we'll have to fact check this, but I think it was China who put out a, um, a call, or maybe it was NASA. Um, one of them put out a, a call basically saying, um, if you would like to be a part of a one-way mission to Mars, um, sign up on this, on this, in this sheet, um, completely voluntary, just to see how many people would sign up. And I believe, I, I haven't looked this up recently, I believe like over 20,000 people signed up uh, basically put their name to be potentially selected for a one-way mission to Mars, which is crazy because when this was put out, they basically said, like in bold lettering, this is a one-way mission. You will not return to Earth. You will die on planet Mars. We can get you there, but getting you back alive is untenable. So the two-part question I'm going to ask you, yeah. and A, I think it's pretty in interesting that 20,000 people signed up for this. Granted, maybe they signed up for it because they thought they didn't think it through very clearly and if they would give it more thought, they'd be like, yeah, I actually kind of like being alive on Earth. Yeah. Um, but maybe let's just say they whittle that down to a thousand people or a hundred people. That's still, I think there are some people in the world that when given the opportunity would sign up for a one-way mission to Mars. Absolutely. I think so. So that's yeah. how, that sets up my two-part question. Um, the first one is, should we? So if this, this situation sets up where we can get people to Mars and we can't get them back, it's kind of a question on humanity. We talk about, um, we've talked a lot about these these space initiatives being good for, for humankind, should we send people to planets knowing they won't return? Would that be good for humankind? Obviously, it wouldn't be great for those humans in the, the, the rest of their life, but it would be pretty monumental to, to put people on different planets. So that, that's the first question. Like, Do you think, should we, like morally, um, humans should do something like that, or should we always kind of have that Apollo 13 mindset that we will try to get them back at all costs and we will not pull the trigger on something that will leave humans to die on another planet. Um, and then the second part is, would we? Uh, do you think that we would? Do you think that we would pull the trigger on that, regardless if we should or not? I'm curious what you think about those, or if that's like a line that we don't cross as humanity. Man, that's okay. That's those, those love these questions. Yeah. Uh, so these are tough ones too, and that's one of those ones I could start going in a vicious circle with myself on them. I think the question if, um, so you're, the first one being, you know, um, should we? Yeah, so the first one is kind of a moral question, like do you think we should? And the yeah. second one is, do you think humans have the appetite? Would we actually pull the trigger on something like that? Or would that just be such a, would there be such a, a visceral kind of pushback politically and, and by everybody just that wouldn't be able to stomach it, um, that we wouldn't even do it? Do you think that human kind of would do something like that? I think that? the question, should we, um, actually I think the question is yes. Mm -hmm. But I think the answer to that course is, off the, the basis of volunteering, right? Like you have to, you have to, the people have to know and you have to make sure that I think, seriously, from the point of psychological evaluations, they understand that what they're leaving, they're never coming back to. Yeah. And I think that's huge. I think there's a lot of people that can super quickly go onto an online form and say, yes, sign me up, I'm right. gonna go. But they may not have walked through the ramifications. You need to have extensive that. psychological testing. You need the people need sure. to know, like they need to be able to tell them, like yes, this person understands what they're saying and what they're doing, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think the other question about like you know should we? It, it, that's a tough one because I'm always about space exploration. Yeah. But I also think like there's so much bitterness and such so much petty things that we still do on our planet, like as a species that socially, right? Yeah. Between like our borders and misunderstandings on human rights and all these things. And it's like, are we really ready to start 
expanding into the solar system when we have so many things that we still can even agree on down here. Yeah. And uh, that the tough part for me is, I think, I hate saying this, but I think there is going to be always a layer of that on our planet. So it's like, do you wait indefinitely until you feel like that, that whatever metric you've set that to has been resolved on this planet? Like there is some type of, you know, uniformity yeah. before you expand into the cosmos? Or do you under the banners of these different countries and different flags say like, yeah, we got to do it. And going back to your point of like, should we, or would we, I, I don't think the United States would. Yeah, um, I don't think so either. I, I actually, I know that's terrible to say, but I think it's going to be a country uh, that's willing to look past some of those ramifications or look at it as like the better exceptionalism, you know, like, Oh, yeah. this is going to make our country um, history, you know, but yeah. basically they're going to mark that country in that time as like a, uh, historical context for the rest of time, you know, yeah. if they do that. And so I, I really do think it would be a different country altogether that would be willing to do something like that Yeah, uh, as a one-way trip. Um, man, it, that's a that's a really crazy question to yeah, think about. Yeah, I, I think it is a crazy question, but I think it's something we kind of have to ask ourselves what that risk level is because of how hard it is to get people even uh, to the moon. You know, if we're thinking yeah. about going to Mars, we have to think about... Um, if we send them there, how long? I think NASA's trying to think about like a 30-day mission to Mars and then bringing them back. Well, bringing them back is no uh, small feat either. So we have to no. think about what type of risk we're willing to stomach um, in the advance of exploration. And I totally agree with you. It's like, how do you, you could even have the mentality. These countries are like, yeah, we're going to send you there. And after this amount of time, we're bringing you back. But there has to be the caveat to anyone anyone who goes out there they're like yeah going there does not you do not have a guaranteed way back yeah like we can we're going to send you there we're going to try to bring you back right um but the, the, no i don't think any country can promise that you know yeah. at least not in the next hundreds a couple hundreds of years i mean we just don't have the technology i mean because all of this is just we're paving the way it's groundbreaking we don't have the way to def definitively look at someone like an uber you know it's it Maybe one day we'll have the technology so advanced that you can safely look at someone and be like, yeah, you have a 99.9% .9 chance that this spaceship's going to take you to Mars and fly you back. Yeah. But we just don't. I mean, we're so far away from that. Yeah. I think, I think that's interesting. That is interesting. And it kind of actually opens up the door of some people that are kind of anti-crewed missions, period. They think that just having that risk involved means it's stunting the ability to explore because we always have to have... Um, redundancies and checks and, and, and test missions it's basically going to stunt our ability to explore but I don't know if I kind of agree with that I think that, that humans like human life going to these places is kind of critical and almost like it's embedded in our DNA to kind of explore and expand so I think that yeah. I'm always going to support those crew I missions agree. I agree but I kind of see, see what you're saying which is we the United States I don't think will have the, the stomach to send people on a one way mission um, and I don't think if, if we have the ability to bring people back, I think obviously that's going to be the better thing to pursue. Yeah, absolutely. And I do think the, um, I think I'm losing my train of thought here, but if you're going out to space and you're wanting to, you know, not able to come back, like it's, it's a seriously, if you sit here and think about it, it is a crazy concept to mm. think about, like just leaving because our planet is, it is such a unique planet. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. Right. Yeah. And if you'd see as amazing it is to see things like rovers from Mars and all that, mm -hmm. um, you realize how like lucky we are to be here. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's so cool to see those other planets, but they're, so they're desolate. barren, they're desolate. They're yeah. like just rocks. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that's part of the reason China is looking at like rovers and stuff. Right. Cause it's significantly less expensive. You don't have, PR disasters, you know, like there's no, you yeah. don't have to if worry about all If it blows up 13. on the surface, then hey, yeah. that's a lot. All that you lost is the uh, is the money, and then I guess that research and yeah. timeline. But, but uh, to your point, you can send rovers out all day, but if at the end of the day, like, what's the point of it if you're not ever going to, mm. like, you know, what I'm saying, like, what what's the end game to that? Right. Uh, I mean, of course, the the knowledge and the understanding is huge, like understanding our solar system, but like, I feel like at some point there has to be a okay, like we've explored all this, so now it's time for us to do it, you know? Mm. Um, but the that's frontier. Uh, the final frontier. Yeah, that's yeah. my thoughts at least. So. I like it, Sam. Man, this has been an awesome one. Is there anything else? I feel like we've covered, uh, I know yeah. we didn't get super into, but I, with the Artemis programs, I think that's, at least from the United States perspective, there's so many missions, but I think those are the, I mean, that is the, like, that's to me the, the creme of the crop you yeah know? that's 100 percent. yeah i think that's the big one we did really following. just scratch the surface there's so many more things we could talk about there um there's obviously the whole domain of satellites and um and yeah. kind of increasing 
um, technology in space for, for whatever it's like remote internet with Starlink or um, even deep space exploration. The James Webb Telescope went up earlier this year, which is uh, insane. Yeah. And I think there's um, talks of trying to get some uh, telescopes to position on the far side of the moon that can pick up radio signals in deep space. And the far side of the moon is nice because the moon kind of blocks all of the noise from Earth. So if that happens, that'd be cool. So there's so many avenues that are exciting. We've only really scratched the surface, but... Oh, absolutely. We've scratched cool a, a 0.1% of everything that's you know has occurred and what's going to occur. Yeah. And I, I mean, we, should, we could have talked about the James Webb Telescope for an hour alone. I oh, mean, yeah. the pictures we've seen on that thing, and I think even just the investment on the James Webb Telescope itself... Yeah. Like the excitement and enthusiasm that's brought back into space exploration, I think is is worth every penny. Right. Because that then, was several billion dollars in its own right. Yeah. For sure. And then on the like the scientific discovery front, um, I think a few years ago they had that first kind of realized image of a black hole. So there's there's certain um, like scientific and deep space understandings that we're um, we're getting out of these these. Yeah, it's amazing. So yeah. Either way, like no matter what happens, I'm very excited for yeah the next couple decades. I think oh, there's yeah. gonna be some really big advancements. Or that's what I'm hoping for. Me too. So, but uh, yeah, this has been awesome. Also, you look so good today. I'm so glad we got oh, to gosh. do this. I'm blessed. Yeah. Um, I love you. And uh, that's about it, though. But hey, Kibbles and boys, thank you for listening. And. Uh, you got anything else to say to conclude today's episode? Yeah, it's the first in-person podcast. First in-person podcast. Going to happen. Yeah. Uh, probably after Lorelai sees this. Um, never. So <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, no. And uh, I will say, She's not like that. <laughs> yeah, I think we're going to. Uh, yeah, we're going to probably have a couple weeks after this one. So. Be good. But yeah, it'll be nice and get to reflect, and you'll have some time to get this one edited out. So, exactly. Yeah. Until next time.